are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation about meaningful and productive work. And I often draw on the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as my own experience consulting at the, the work that I do today in CDM, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Cash Cahey of Cahey Consulting Group and the author of Eight Leadership Types in the White House, Discover and Leverage Your Oval Office Leadership Style. The book is based on Cash's own research into 42 presidents and a comparison of the types he discovered in relation to Myers-Briggs personality types. I discovered my two types of proactive and take charge in the conversation. It was quite fascinating. And so when we know our our leadership type, we can, one, leverage it for best effectiveness, or two, flex it for when we need to change for, for somebody else who's quite different. With us this week is Mario McCracken, who is the revenue leader at Move Medical, where he leads the sales, marketing, and customer success efforts. He also writes for Inc. and is a regular contributing writer on LinkedIn. Today, we'll be talking about how to effectively build and lead teams. He joins us today from San Diego, California. Mario, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you very much. I'm super happy to be here. Me too. Me too. And, you know, it's it's always so fun for me as... My listeners who've heard this for a while can attest, and, and we we happen to enjoy a listenership across the globe, which I'm so honored and, and appreciative of, um, and I get to meet amazing people I wouldn't otherwise have any business meeting, and you came across my path through a mutual friend, Kimberly Davis, and so I want to thank her and give her a shout out, and I am amazed at all the balls you have in the air, Mario. You are a busy man. You are the revenue leader at Move Medical, and you travel a ton for your work. And you have a family and many fascinating outside interests. You write for LinkedIn and for Inc., all this kind of stuff. First, I want to talk about what does it mean to be a revenue leader at Move Medical? Let's start there. So the term revenue leader came about um, in response to software kind of eating the world, right? It came about uh, instead of just focusing on sales or on marketing alone, it was lots of these software companies had to have someone that was in charge of both sales, marketing, and also customer success. And so anything that's commercially oriented or customer facing kind of falls under revenue or anything to help grow the company. Um, And so that's kind of how it works in our company as well. We have marketing, we have sales, we have customer success, but they're all part of the same team. Rather than being in different silos, we're all part of the same team, so we're all working toward the same objectives and goals. And typically, that's how companies try to operate. But when you actually change the organization to be structured that way, sometimes we're hoping to get better results. And so we're trying it out. 
Uh, that makes so much sense to me, Mario, because I do a lot of work you know, within Sydney and we serve very large, complex organizations across the globe. And many times what you see in those organizations, and no surprise, right, is very siloed efforts that, yep. uh, that don't talk to one another. So what you're talking about to me makes tremendous sense. I get it. Um, I guess I should probably also ask, what does Move Medical actually do? What do, they, what, what do you provide? So we help um, medical device companies keep track of all of their inventory. That's the basic what it does. We help with asset utilization. We increase the ability for companies to keep compliance with laws, to know where their stuff is, to reduce costs, which in turn we hope reduces patient care costs and health care costs by helping these companies run more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Sounds very, you're so crisp about that, Mario, like it really were that easy. I know it's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, nothing is easy. The goal is to make it easy. (laughs) Right, right, right. I like that. And and just quickly, since you and I were talking before we came on air about your travel, um, how is it that you're traveling? When you travel, where are you going to? What are you doing? So there's lots of different reasons to travel, but obviously being in a sales role, um, a lot of the travel is for sales purposes. It's either to conferences or to visit on-site visits with clients, to really deep dive into their business, to understand what they're going through and what they're doing. So a lot of the travel is for sales purposes. Also, there's other industry events to stay up on knowledge, To and then with the customer success side, it's... Customer success is what we we call proactive customer service. It's where you take the customer's goals and you try to help them get there without um, them having to call you in when there's a problem. You problem solve and and solve everything as much as you can before the problem actually exists, and then you guide the customer to their goals. And so sometimes lots of those on-site visits are part of that as well. Mm. Just on a real interesting side note to presence what you just said there, next week we'll be on the air with Bill Lee, who is all about driving customer advocacy. So really, you know, being able to set up the customer being the one that sells for the organization, the one that speaks oh, for yeah. the organization. That's great. Right? Yeah, yeah he's, I think it's going to be a great conversation on Valentine's, no less, right? Oh, customer love, <laughs> love on Valentine's customer. Day. That's perfect. Right. I think it's perfect. Um, well, let's get into the topic that you and I settled on. There's so much we could have talked about, and, and we're going to talk about building teams today. And I, I first want to always start with what is it about that topic that captivate, captivates you? Why team building? Why, why do you rivet on that? So I think it's ever since it's been, I guess, nurtured in me ever since I was a little kid. In my house growing up, we were six kids. And so we were a team, right? And then I played sports, and I always gravitated toward team sports rather than individual sports, maybe just because I wasn't good enough for the individual sports, but I really felt I got something out of the team sports as well. Where, And then in college, I loved the group atmosphere and working as a team to solve something, and then I was on a sales team right after college and those type of things. And just overall, being part of a team has always been something that I've found value in, and I realized when I was on a good team, I was happy, I performed, I produced. And when I was on a bad team, it wasn't. And so that led to kind of the study of teams. And when I became an independent consultant, actually, for a while, I decided to help all these different companies. But then I missed being part of a team. And that's what brought me back into the startup phase where I I joined a company, I joined a startup, and it felt like I was back part of a team. And that's the main reason I rejoined the company was so I could be part of a team but also build teams. And so something that's very important to me because – I really believe that people perform better when they're supported by the right type of people, and I think teams can do that. 
Mm-hmm. You're also getting me to remember Peter Senge's work about you know the teams being greater greater than some of their parts, right? So that there's yeah. a there's a synergy there that it that that you can really tap into. And I know that when I I'd worked for years on on my own as a sole proprietor as a consultant too, and then I joined in Sydney about a year and a half ago, and we had been out delivering some work together. There were two consultants and me observing. And I remember so distinctly, we had dinner with a client and we were walking back to the car and I looped my arms into both of theirs, one on Nathan on one side wow. and Nate on the other. And I said, oh my gosh, this is so much better than working for myself by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. I get That's it. Great. Um, all right. So what I want to do next, and I, I, I like to be able to give like a compare and contrast here. So I want to ask you next, really, when you think about what you've learned or seen in companies about how they tend to go about building teams, I first want to ask you, what have you seen that does not work well in building teams? Um, I think the first time I really was able to observe this and see what didn't work was, it was kind of my own fault. I was living in Hong Kong, and um, we were building various teams called districts, as, as, as we called them as in Hong Kong. And, I was, and we thought, why don't we create a super district where we put our super zone and we put all the best missionaries or all the best people doing that type of service at that time. Well, the two years I was in Hong Kong, I was a missionary in one zone and see what happens, right? And it didn't work well. It actually didn't. We didn't play off the, the strengths of each team member. We didn't utilize we didn't allow people to bring their strengths. We just brought the strongest of everybody. And then I learned throughout business and going into various companies, when you just put the strongest people on a team, often that doesn't create the best team. You need people that can mm. play off each other's strengths. You can't have the same strengths, and you have to have that diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of potential, diversity of everything involved. There's so many different types of diversity, and you have to put that all in one place so they can strengthen each other and grow with each other. And so finding the right mix of people on a team doesn't always mean finding just who the strongest players are and putting them on a team. Mm. I can completely see that. Absolutely see that. And, and I think it's the next question, question, of course, I do want to ask to contrast that is what have you seen that does work in building a really, a really great team? And then I'm going to ask you what makes for a really great team. <laughs> <laughs> great. So there, the, the, crazy thing is that you always think you have a formula and so you build a good team somewhere and then you think that same formula will translate to the next team or the next division and the only thing that I've found that really works in building a team is if first everybody on the team has to want to be part of a team and I guess it's like a marriage it's just a marriage of lots of people in the same place right where if, if, if both sides or all sides if 10 people or 12 people or 6 people whoever many people are on your team want to make the team work then that, that's the foundation that you need to build a good team. It still might not guarantee a team because you might not have the right skills, you might not have the right abilities, but at least you have the potential for the team to work. If there's people that don't really want to be on the team or they have an ego or there's some ulterior motive involved, then there's a good chance that the team will never take off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and, and to make good go ahead, team work, you just have to get the, I guess, the initial commitment, and you have to figure out what those, what everybody's desire is on the team. Okay, okay, and then when you think about, uh, you know, just a rocking team, some team that really, I mean, this is a good solid team. What does that look like? How do you describe that? 
Well, I think you can feel since I think you can feel the energy and passion on the team. When when you go into team meetings, you can feel there's excitement. They're excited about what they're doing, and so that alone, you know that something's right. You might they might you might not know exactly why it's right, but you feel the energy. And then later, over time, it might not be the first week or second week, but results start coming in. And so those are the two proof in the pudding: is a team is right if the results are coming in. They might not do it perfectly. They might not get to the results the exact way that you had envisioned or planned or told them to do even, but they're energetic, they're passionate, they, it's just a good feeling, and then results start coming in. And I think they both play off each other very well. You, you feel better when results come in, but you also have that energy to create those results as well. Mm-hmm. As you were talking about that, Mario, I was just thinking about some of the work that I've done recently with clients and, and gotten to be part of their team um, efforts, et cetera. And, and what I, back to your thing about feeling, what I often get is I, I feel that they're connected. I feel a connection among them. It's like a buzz. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you, when you feel connected, you're more willing to do your job, but you're also more willing to help them with their assignment. And that's where that real team comes, the team aspect comes from. It's not just so centered on yourself, because if that was the case, you could just play tennis and you just only rely on yourself. But if you want to play with other people, you have to think about their needs. And that's often hard to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gets me to the next question here that I'm curious about. I mean, I don't know anybody who wants to get up in the morning that says, hey, I want to I suck at, a, at being a leader and I want to be really bad at building teams. I don't know anybody who gets <laughs> up with that in mind, right? Yeah. And yet, at the same time, so we have, there are many people out there who have very good ideas and the best of intentions, but they fail at leading others and building teams. Why do you think that is? Oh, shoot. There's too many reasons. I think if it's not I guess if it's not on purpose, of course, anything could happen, right? You could accidentally be a good leader, which is maybe a 0.1% chance to be a good leader on accident. But to, be, to lead a team and be a good leader, you have to do it on purpose. And if you're not doing it on purpose, something else is taking over. It has to be something that you consciously think about and you're consciously thinking about other people. So whatever is on your mind and whatever you consciously think about is what you're going to do. So if you're thinking about your own problems and your own worries and what you have to get done, you might get those things done, but you're not going to be able to lead a team. And so it's not as much an act of commission. You hear all the horror stories about bad leaders who, who put people in the wrong places and then blame them or hide behind um, different ex- scenarios or put the blame on other people or whatever they want to do to be bad leaders. But most of the time, bad leadership isn't so obvious. It's not that somebody's actually doing something really bad. They're just not doing everything they could be or should be doing. So it's more acts of omission rather than commission. But that can really, that mediocrity, that can really hurt a team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as you were speaking, one of the things I was thinking about when you mentioned, I forget exactly how you said it, Mario, but it was something to the effect of that the leader doesn't have his or her eye on his team. It's on himself or herself, yeah. their, their concerns. One of the things that we, we, we do when we, when we work with, with people is that we, we teach them various aspects about how to, how to connect well with people. And one of those simple things that we distinguish is this notion of being out here with others. And so it's that thing of really physically trying to, whenever you're, 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 you're going into a new space or you're trying to accomplish anything, that you just take a moment and you literally you know put your eyes up look at the other person and step outside of yourself for just a moment. And it's amazing how simple that sounds, but how effective that is. That's exactly right. If you look people in the eye, put away your phone, 
and really think about what, what this person is going through and what, what's the atmosphere I'm trying to bring and what am I doing in this space and why am I here? I guess it's that awareness. When you're aware, it helps other people notice that you're aware and they just feel automatically better, but it allows you to notice as a leader what should be done. Because half the time, leaders don't notice things. They have to be told things. And that's where, that's, in my opinion, the number one thing that separates good leaders from average leaders is good leaders can notice and feel things, whereas average leaders, they can take good, make good decisions, but they have to be told what to make the decision on. Mm-hmm. You're also reminding me of something that we talk quite a bit about here with an insignium, uh, Mario, and that's this whole notion of what it is to be a human being, not a human doing, right? <laughs> and that, and oh, that's that, pretty good. Yeah. Right, and that when so often, especially as leaders, when you think about what does it take to really be with somebody, it can be kind of uncomfortable when you're really, really in that space and you get to really listen to what they have to say and you're present with them. And then you add in that whole piece of being able to experience the full spectrum of human emotion and that that's something that we certainly encourage, especially if you want to be an inspirational leader, to be able to have access to that. And so I, when you started mentioning the emotional piece, that's absolutely where I, where I came in on that is just the importance of being and then accessing and displaying all of your emotions as they're appropriate. I should say. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. That's a yeah. I, I love that concept. That that rings true for sure. Where you can't really, if you're being somebody, you're focusing on the whole experience and not just on a task list, right? And task lists are needed. You have to do them. You have to get your stuff done. But how you go about getting that done is a big determinant in how other people perceive you. But more importantly, how you can influence other people. Mm, great point, Mario, and a great way to take us into our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Mario McCracken, who is the revenue leader at Move Medical, where he leads the sales, marketing, and customer success efforts. He also writes for Inc. and is a regular contributing writer on LinkedIn. He joins us today from San Diego, California. We've been talking a bit about really what it, what it takes to create teams. After the break, we're going to talk more about how emotions and the actual style of leadership make a difference as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Mario McCracken, who is the revenue leader at Move Medical, where he leads the sales, marketing, and customer success efforts. He also writes for Inc. and is a regular contributing writer on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Mario, just before the the break, we were talking about this whole notion of human being a human being versus a human doing with regard to how we lead. What I wanted to talk about next, and it's something you and I chatted about together on the phone before we, we got on the show, it's the, the role of positivity and emotion in building teams and leading teams. Talk to us about what you've learned about that and how you practice that. Yeah, emotions are, well, everybody knows they're super powerful. Everybody tries to control them, and I think that's that's sometimes wrong in, in and of itself is you're supposed to have emotions. You're supposed to feel. They tell you things. They guide you. They lead you. And so embracing your emotions is very, very important, whether they're good or bad. But as a leader, we also know that emotions are contagious. And as, especially as a leader, you even have more influence where if people automatically are looking to you or trying to understand how you're feeling, they're going to pick up on those cues and feel the way you're feeling. So if you're down or angry or sad, there's, you're going to be able to bring that same energy and that same feeling to those people around you. And now that's not going to be true every single time. Some people don't get affected by how other people around them are acting. But most people, when you notice something is wrong or you notice someone around you, you begin to have empathy and you begin to try to feel what they're feeling, even if it's subconscious or conscious. You want to be connect with those around you. And so because of that power that we have as leaders to influence people, it's very, very important that we try to help people keep their eye on the goal and eye on the mission. And often that, remain, that, re, that requires using your positive emotions to help them stay positive as well. I have got to share something that we just did recently that will completely illustrate this point or and maybe bring it to life a little bit more than you already have. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, here in Dallas, my one of my colleagues and I presented a what we call an inspirational leader program, Mario. And what's at the heart of that whole program is that we we teach the participants to do just what you're saying, to really to to gain access to their own emotions and and first let themselves be inspired. 
and then show that inspiration, speak that inspiration. So part of what we do in that workshop is, and it's not a workshop, it's a program. It starts with a couple of days and then there's, there's, there's follow-up. However, we ask the participants to come to, to the session prepared to share something that inspires them. We don't, give them, we don't tell them how to do it. We just say, just come and share it. If you want to bring in props, you can. And so what happens is when they get it in front of the room, they, they share this, whatever it is that inspires them. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, people in the crowd get so moved, touched, inspired that they shed a tear or they cry. And it's really powerful. And then at the same time, Mario, what we do is we ask the, the people that are listening to the, the presentation, really listen to what the speaker is saying, listen for what inspires them. The idea being that if as leaders, they can learn how to become really great listeners and le- learn and listen for what inspires other people, they can access those emotions and be able to connect the, with those emotions with their people. And that makes for incredibly effective, powerful leadership when people can opt in and be enrolled by that kind of inspiration to you say, you say emotions are contagious, especially when they're positive like that and they make people feel better than they already are. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great story. That's a that's a really good example. Oh, it's it's so you know. I tell you, Mario, I'm so grateful. I get to do work that I love, and I get to live my purpose through the work that I do. It's it's really phenomenal to get to be in a place where you. I, I mean, I get to work with people on a very intimate level. I get to be led into their their space, and I get to be part of witness witnessing their transformation. It's amazing. It's just amazing. So oh, yes, I'm great. I'm over here pumping my arm as you say emotions are contagious and the power of harnessing the, the positive ones yes yes and yes <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah um, anything else you want to say about emotions r- relative to leadership before I go on to the next thing I want to talk about um, there's lots of ways to transfer emotions to other people without having to be the rah-rah type because not everybody every personality type is different and you might not be someone who's overly energetic or someone who Maybe you're more, a much more of an introvert, but you can still show positive emotion in the words that you choose to tell, say, and the stories you choose to tell. And I think the stories that we tell aren't just, hey, let me tell you a story or a time about this. It's just the story is how you relate to the experiences and how you define the things that happen to you. And so as you're telling your story to people and they can see, was your outlook positive or negative? Was this interaction with this client or an internal interaction with another colleague? And then how you reacted to what they said to you and then how you tell other people about that situation, is it positive or negative? And so there's lots of ways to display positive energy without actually being the rah-rah cheerleader type of leader either. You can, you can be an introvert, you can be yourself, and still be very positive at the same time. I really appreciate that point, Mario. It's so, so important that our listeners get that they do not need to be this bigger-than-life person who can speak grandly in front of a room. They can be absolutely quiet, more introverted people, and still share what inspires them in a way that completely enrolls other people. And if we, if if listeners go back and listen to the show we had last week with Cash Kihi on his eight different types, he's got four of those types that are completely introverted people, and they're incredibly effective. So I really appreciate that you distinguish that for our, our listeners. That was great. Great, thank you. Yeah. So the next thing I want to go on to, kind of get moving away from the 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 emotion piece of it here, is when we spoke on the phone in preparation for this, you said something about we we. 
what we are good at might not necessarily align with what we want to be good at. I certainly know a little something about this, but I'm really curious to hear your perspective on this. What do you mean by that? So we can go back to a lot of different things. I think the first time I realized this was in high school. I wanted to be really good at soccer, but I was much better at American football. And that came about when I was offered a position on the varsity football team, but not the varsity soccer team, because in Idaho they play at the same time. And so I had to make a choice, right? So, And then later in my professional life, I, I, you dream about maybe running a hedge fund, but you realize your pers- interpersonal skills are in sales or in doing different things. So you might have these dreams and ambitions that you want this to be your certain skill, but that's not necessarily what you're the best at. And when... Even if you really want something, but you're not that good at it, that passion is going to be hard to come by. But if, you're real, but if you can become really, really good at something, then that passion comes easily cause, because you're seeing results and you're finding success. And by doing something over and over again, you build that craft and you build that expertise. And that's then where the passion comes from. And it's, it's a, definitely a, a self-feeding cycle where the better you get at something, the more passion you find in what you're doing. Um, and it just it helps you become a better leader and when you can lead others toward the same path. So you still should do what you want to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that what you want is what you're going to be best at. Mm. Okay, so one of the other things we talked about, and I might have a story on this, is, and I think you just alluded to this, and I may have missed it, but something about, you said on the phone, embracing our skills to turn them into a passion. Yeah. Um, right, so... I can I I, I got to tell you how how I got into the business that I do in terms of facilitating development was an accidental discovery of a skill and then therefore a passion um, and and really quick for our listeners I I uh, ran into a gentleman years ago years ago at a conference and he called me up a, a few months after we'd gotten together and over the phone and he said hey Cortez is it true here? You you say in your email that you can you can speak Spanish and Portuguese. Is does that mean just the bad words, or can you actually talk this stuff? Mm-hmm. And I said I can actually speak Portuguese and Spanish conversationally. I actually don't even know the bad words. Why? Why do you ask? And he goes, Well, I've got this client down this client in South America that that needs this stuff delivered in Spanish and Portuguese. Would you consider doing it? I said, I'll go just for the fact that I get to go back to South America and use these languages. Whatever this thing is, you want me to present. I'll figure that out, but I'll go just on that basis alone. And so I learned the material. It was a very large, you know, one-day presentation. And I got down there, Mario, and I and I presented this stuff. And I realized, one, I had a skill for this. I could actually get in front of a room, and I could make this material come alive. And it was a skill that I didn't know that I had. And I fell in love with it on the spot, and I've been doing it ever since. And that was, I don't know, 12 years ago. Um but it was an accidental discovery of a skill that to- totally became a passion of mine. So I didn't, I didn't think about it the way that you said it, but that's exactly how it happened. Now, that's great. Yeah, the, as leaders, we can help other people for sure, but we also have to find it within ourselves. And sometimes it's by accident. Other times it's by people encouraging you or giving you an opportunity that you didn't think about before. We all need to have coaches and mentors and multipliers in our life. Coaches are the ones that train you, right? Mentors guide you. And multipliers are the people that help you become a better version of yourself in all aspects or, in, or push you to be much better than, some, than you ever thought you could be. And so we all need different types of people at different phases in our life. And sometimes just saying, hey, I think you're good at this can help somebody improve and try something new and find a skill that they didn't know they had, which then in turn, if with enough practice, becomes a, becomes a passion because they're good at it. 
Mm. You've taught me something again here in this conversation. Thank you, Mario. I hope that my bill isn't getting too high as we go through this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Multiplier. I've never heard anybody talk about that. Now, I think I understand that quite well. I hope that's what I'm doing when I coach people. However, um, I think that's really quite interesting. I guess I'd like to understand a little bit, Mario. How can you tell us maybe an example or two of how you've been able to help identify skills in in someone that you've been working with on your team, and how did you help multiply that? Can you can you conjure that for us? Oh, sure. Let me think about that for a second. So, so a multiplier can be a coach and can be a mentor. They don't have to be uh, mutually exclusive. But at the same time, a, multi- a multiplier can be someone that's not either a coach or a mentor. A multiplier could just be your best friend and someone that is super positive and encourages you and pushes you to try new things and just tells you, hey, you're good enough. You can do it. Whereas a coach is definitely someone who has a plan and an action and helps you develop your skills and and helps you think through in, in, in your physical actions as well as your thought processes and all those type of things. And, yeah, of course, a mentor is the one to guide you through the troubled waters or because they've been there, they can mentor you, right? So in my career, there's been lots of different situations where I've had people on my team that have had a very specific role. And the the thing, I guess it goes back to my personal experience where when I was in a specific role, I didn't feel like I was growing as much. And so I was always looking for something else to help with or to do because if it's too narrow, I feel like I'm not growing. And so I tried to, when I became a leader, when I became an official leader, right, I tried to help the people on my team by noticing how they interact with people and notice what things they did well on their projects and then encouraging them specifically saying, hey, you've done this part really, really well. Maybe you want to explore it more because you only do it for 10, 12% of your workday. Maybe this is something that you would want to explore even more because you're really, really good at it. And so when someone feels encouraged and they're complimented, they're more willing to try and if it fails, it fails, but no harm. But if they try something and they find they like it, there's unlimited potential for gain in that situation. And even in my current team right now, we have people that are doing things that they've never done before only because they have the opportunity now to try things out. You know, you're reminding me too, Amadia, when I, when I work with people, sometimes they get so excited about something that they're doing and they don't even realize it. And so to point out, do you know that you you have lit up the whole room just now and how how you're responding to what you're doing here do you know that and and just simply helping them get presence to that sometimes i think can be incredibly valuable um, i really liked how you talked about that and and i do think that there's something about being able to encourage people and to help them recognize that you know you do have something here you 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 distinguish yourself by the work that you do here do you notice that you actually produce this better or faster than people on the, the rest of the team do did you not get did you, do you not see that and then helping them actually see that and then celebrate that and give them a path to do, to do more of it if they well well, that's where you want to be careful, right? As long as they do want to do more of it, they're just happen. It's not something that actually they're they're good at and they hate, yeah, right. <laughs> which <laughs> oh, does definitely. happen, which, right? Um, yeah, that's awesome. Anything else you want to say about that? Um, no, I think that's pretty good. We we need to encourage people, but we also need to be aware of what we're missing, and that comes in lots of forms. And one of those is helping people really, really find out what their what their skills can be, not just thinking about it for your own sake as a, as a leader of a team saying, hey, this is the only thing I want them to do because this is what I need right now. And it's hard to do that because it, if it doesn't align 100% with what you think your objectives are, 
then it's hard to branch off. But it's it, in 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 the long run, it's always better for everybody when you when you can help people develop their skills. Hmm. And then this is important. Once they've actually determined that they have a skill and they like having that skill, that talent, then you mentioned the importance of actually them telling people that they're good at this. Why? I have a, an opinion about that, but why do you think that's important? Well, so I, I believe everybody lies, and it's easier to lie to yourself than to other people. And so you might know in yourself that you're good at something or you're not good at something. But either way, if you tell something publicly and you're in general an honest person, you try to have integrity, when you, you try to live up to those expectations because you verbalized it, you told people that this is what you do and you're good at, and so now you have to live up to it. And some people might consider that negative pressure, but most of the time when you say, oh, yeah, I'm a writer or, oh, yeah, I do project management, you start affirming those beliefs in yourself that it becomes who you are. And so the more you verbalize it, the more you say and tell people what you do and what you're good at, the more you believe those words and the more you live up to those actions. And so it's the labeling theory in psychology where people live up to the labels they're given. Um, and so when you label yourself something, you're more likely to live up to that label. Okay, another ching-ching moment. Thank you very much for that. Something that I have not heard of the label, labeling theory. Thank you for that, Mario. Very, very interesting. Where I was going to go with this whole notion of telling people what you're good at is that, and maybe this goes because I do an awful lot of work developing um, women leaders, and women tend not to be very good at saying what they're good at, claiming what they're good at. Um, and so, therefore, people don't know or they don't know that they want to do those things. And so what I thought, uh, what my my perspective on telling people what you're good at is just making sure that they're that's present for them, that they know it, that if there's an opportunity that where they could put to use those particular skills, this other person now knows it. It's, it lives out there in the universe beyond just this person's belief system. That's where I was going to go. So I love your labeling theory piece. That's, oh, that's, that's good. awesome. Yeah. No, that, that's another added bonus, right? That's part of it. And when other people know what you're good at, they can support you and they can help you and they might have need of your abilities. So yeah, it's all true. Yeah. Awesome. So fun to talk with you, Mario. Here we are back for another break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We run on the air with Mario McCracken, who is the revenue leader at Move Medical, where he leads the sales, marketing, and customer success efforts. He also writes for Inc. and is a regular contributing writer on LinkedIn. He joins us today from San Diego, California. After the break, we're going to get more into the actual leadership space of working with teams. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Mario McCracken, who is the Revenue Leader at Move Medical, where he leads the sales, marketing, and customer success efforts. He also writes for Inc. and is a regular contributing writer on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So in this last bit together here, what I'd like to focus on, Mario, is is leadership. We've been talking about how to how to create great teams, how to cultivate talent. Uh, for this last bit, I, I want to bring it all together here and talk about the leadership piece of it. So um, first, I, I'm I'm interested, and I don't know if you have a way to characterize this, but how would you describe your leadership style, your own leadership style? Well, that's a that's a tough one. That's a good one. So. I'm definitely not a charismatic leader in the sense of um, being winning people over just because I have a, a strong personality. I definitely am not bureaucratic or democratic in a sense where everything has to go through a process and everybody has to be in agreement and there has to be 100% consensus. I like to consider myself an a encourager or a supporter where my, my whole purpose is to get the most out of other people and to see what they can produce. And so some people might call that a servant leadership, but I don't know if I can claim that type of leadership fully. Um, but I like to just help people transform and become better versions of themselves. And if I can encourage them to do that, then the results should speak for themselves eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just in the, the little bit of time that you and I have gotten to know each other, I can't be at all surprised I would be your style because everything that you said there is the way that I would describe you, who you are as a human being, right? And so one of one of the things that we talked about last week on the air with Kash Kihi is that he talks about how, you know, there is this this notion that our personalities really do impact and oftentimes decide our style and we can also learn and add pieces to you know other parts of that are outside of our personality over time for sure but 
So I thought it was incredibly useful to be, for me even, when he went through his eight different leader types, I went, nope, that's not me. Nope, that's not me. Oh, yep, that one's me, proactive. Yep, that's me. Um, And what was good about that, I want to encourage our listeners as well, because people who are listening right now are in part here because they want to become better leaders and be better at building teams. I really encourage our listeners to be able to distinguish for themselves what kind of leader they are. It helps being able to language that to people we're trying to lead um, and to distinguish how we're different from others is, I think, incredibly useful. So just what you did there in describing yourself, um, I have some similarities, but I would say there's a lot of differences there. So you and I would go about it very, very differently and have probably you know, different strengths and probably different results. Not better or worse, just different. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. We should, I should definitely study that a little bit more and, and do more self-analysis on that part of it for sure. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's really, uh, uh, and I, I have to tell you, I mean, this is a great thing about being a, sh- a host for the show is every single week, Mario, I learn something incredibly valuable. And each time my guests really give me something that really matters to me and moves me and we share it with the listeners who are on the air. But um, that learning my leadership styles also last week was incredibly useful. So, yes, I would encourage it for you and anybody else listening. Great. Yeah, I'll look into it for sure. Well, along those lines, I mean, you, and I know you've been studying. One of, one of the things you and I talked about off air is, and I can I can tell that you are a researcher in just the way that you choose your language, the way you talk, and the way that you you conjure your responses. It's it's fascinating to me, Mario. So I'm interested both from the standpoint of whatever you've learned in your research, as well as what you've observed in the real world. Um, how can we really can can really effective leaders distinguish themselves from just good ones? Do you think? Yeah, that's there's so many variables that go into that, but in my opinion there's two things that can really deter what really determines if a leader is good or not. Of course, like we we talked about before the proof is in the pudding. So, if the results are good, more times than not, that means the leadership has been good. Sometimes a team can overcome a bad leader and still produce good results, right? And so you can be a bad leader and sometimes get good results, but overall, long-term consistency is if you're consistently producing good results, that means what you're doing is working. The other part, though, is more on the emotional side. It's if somebody had to say, hey, who do I want to be my leader? Or if I wasn't a leader today, who would I want to follow? Or who should, whose team do I want to be on? Do I want to play for this person? Or do I want to play for him? Or do I want to play for her? How do I want, how do I want, where do I see myself fitting in? And sometimes that's just personality difference, but often, all personality types can fit in if the if it's a, if it's a good leader. If the if the if the leader cares about other people, almost all personality types can fit in. So you generally see that people gravitate toward leaders, not just their personality, but just how they treat other people. And it often is, might be considered personality, but really it's the the proof of their leadership is: do people want to work for you, with you, and be on your team? I want to tell a quick story about that, too, to illustrate that point. Um, And I told this story to the group that I was working with when we did the Inspirational Leader Program. But when I was first introduced to this firm, Insignium, more than a year and a half ago, uh, I knew what the the work was. I knew it was performance breakthrough and organizational transformation, and I knew how we did it. It was fascinating, and it built on what I was doing before uh, as a solo practitioner. And then I came to the, the firm's annual executive summit where they invite 
you know, several of their clients to come and be on the other end of, of, of a thought leadership presentation and interact with each other. And one of the two um, founding partners, Nathan Rosenberg, got up and he spoke. And I had had very limited interaction with this man, Mario, very limited. He got up and he addressed the room. He's a very gallant man anyway. He's very intelligent, very interesting, well-spoken, dresses beautifully, has a great presence. And then he opened his mouth. And he he looked at the room and he 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 got moved by it. And he said, and he, you know, he got he he um he shed a couple of tears without apology and said how grateful he was to be here and that it was such an honor to have the clients there among them and that you know they had taken time away from their schedules and their work to be with him and the rest of us. And uh, just the way he did that in a way where I could access his emotions in an authentic, inviting way, that was when I started to say, this is where I need to be. And it was, I mean, it was that fast, Mario, that fast. So to illustrate wow. your point about how, right, how leaders can really, really show up in a way that just pulls people in, that that's one of the best examples that I personally have had in the in the near term. Wow, that's, yeah, that's an impressive story when you can really... When you start caring for other people, they notice. And that's just, at the end of the day, that's where leadership really comes from, is if you care enough about the result and the people, then you can be productive. Some people care about people, but they don't care about the result. And so they might be good in a social setting, but they're not going to be good in a business setting. So in a business or professional setting, you need to care about the results, but you also have to care about the people. And that's where you'll get the most success. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's so true. It's a great way to add and sandwich that, that, that piece and that was so true. It was so abundant. He cared about every single person in that room. It's exactly right. Wow. wow. So you and I had a, another conversation before, too, when we were getting ready for this, and you said something about having a perspective on how leaders can sell their ideas internally, which certainly got my interest. I mean, you know, there's this whole notion of being able to persuade people into influence. Many leaders understand they need to do that. But what do you mean by selling their ideas internally? Well, most good ideas never get off the ground because they never get pursued. And that could be lack of ambition, lack uh, the paying attention to the fears that you have or what you're worried about. But often, it's just because the idea wasn't presented in a way that made other people want to get on board. And sales is considered a dirty word. And most, most people in the world would never, when they're in college, say, I'm going to go be a salesman. I'm going to go be a professional salesperson. I'm, I'm going to get into sales. That's very, very few people that are going to college or trying to get an education say that as a goal, right? So then that puts it back on that sales in itself is something that they don't want to do. People don't want to be known as a salesperson. They don't want to be known for that. And so yet when they get into the real world, they don't think they have to sell. They think that the idea and the merit of the idea should win alone. But the best salesperson in the world, Richard Branson or Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, they sell constantly. All they do all day long, Steve Jobs, all day long, all he does is sell. And he's selling internally to the people that have to work with him, that have to code for him for 24 hours a day. He's selling to the to the market. He's selling to media. He's selling to everybody. And the only way a good idea will ever get off the ground is if people buy in. And that's what real leadership is about because you can't even give your team a chance to perform if they don't have anything to to chase after or to shoot after. And so if you can give more opportunities to your team, those are the people that we want to follow as well. We want to follow a, play, a, a leader that will give us the opportunity to succeed. And if your leader 
or you as a leader are good at getting ideas heard and presented and you can sell those ideas, then you have a better chance to have more people accomplish their goals as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, what you're talking about is so much what that whole notion of really presencing your emotions and your your enthusiasm, your what inspires you in a way that compels people to want to follow you, enrolls them is what we say with an insignium. Uh, I really get that. Now, to take yeah. it one one step further, Mario, if you will, for our listeners here, um, what would you say are the correlations between sales and leadership? So often. We, when we're selling, we're focusing on the benefits for the, or the value that the customer will see, right? The value and the bottom line and, hey, this is going to give you an ROI of, a, of X amount or whatever it is. When you're leading other people, the selling of an idea has to connect with their goals and objectives, not just a financial goal or not just the goals of the company. Anybody can find out what the company's mission is and then find a way to apply their job description to the company mission and say, hey, I'm going to give you your why. I'm going to help you do this. But if you don't sell on their emotional level, their, the place where they're at, you don't change, put someone on a different place until you know where they're at today. And that's where true sales comes in is where you find out what's important to the person you're selling and then give them what they need and want. You don't just give them what you think they should have. And that separates good salespeople and good leaders all over the world is you don't just sell what you have, you sell what the other person needs. And that's and when you can do that on an emotional level first and then on a logical level after so they can justify the decision that they just made, then you're really going to be able to help people take that next step in their development and perform new actions and do new tasks and really be part of a team where they're supporting each other and all, everybody's working towards something individually and as a team. Hmm, Mario, that's gorgeous. And I, what I w- want to echo in that is just the importance of leaders being able to really listen well to, to people. If you're listening well, you should be able to determine what it is they really want. And it does require some, some real effort to do that. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, here definitely we- listening is, yeah, if you can't listen, it's, yeah, there's there's no point to to be to try to help other people at all. Yeah, game over, just quit. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. No. <laughs> well, here we are at the very end of the show already, Mario. It just goes by so fast and I, I like to be able to give my guests the last word, if you will, and let them finish as they as they like. I mean, knowing that the show is helping more people um, connect with their work more meaningfully and powerfully, what would you like to leave our listeners with, say in about a minute or less? Ooh. Well, so there, I love reading. That's, if I'm not eating, I'm reading. So um, <laughs> I think for me, being able to read and then talk to other people about what I read is really important. And that might not be for everybody. Some people might want to write it down. Some people might want to just go and apply it and do. But no matter what, we, if, as long as we fill our brains and our, ide- and our, our minds with new ideas, that can help us change, whether we change immediately or change later or never change, we were opened to a new perspective. And a book that I really love and that I think is really, really important is called Leadership and Self-Deception. And I'm sure most people have read it or have heard about it, but Leadership and Self-Deception is a book that if you read it, you'll start to act differently immediately. And that's kind of the purpose of leadership in the first place. It's to become better than, than you are and to help your team become better. So I think that's, that's an important 
thing to, cons- to consider when you're trying to become a better leader is what are you filling your mind with that you can then give to other people? Beautiful way to finish, Mario. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me on Working on Purpose. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Mario McCracken and his work, there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can go to his website, which is mariomccracken.com. It's M-A-R-E-O. McCracken is M-C-C-R-A-C-K-E-N. So mariomccracken.com. Or go to LinkedIn and find him there. Next week, we'll be on the air with Bill Lee, as I mentioned before. He's the founder of the Center for Customer Engagement. And we'll be talking about how cultivating customer relationships is not only good for the bottom line of a business, but also meaningfully connects employees to their work. So see you then. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.